That's not a great way to kick off the parenting message, is it? To leave your kids. <laughs> we're in a series of messages right now this month called The Family Room, where we're just talking about family dynamics. And I think parenting is like the hardest subject in the world to talk about. And the reason why is you, like me, were really bad at it. It's okay, you can admit it this morning. You're amongst friends. So to kick this message out this morning, what I wanted to do is I wanted to share with you um, how bad some people are at this so that you would be encouraged at your level of parenting. Um, There is a website, I don't endorse it or anything, that I looked at for laughs uh, when preparing this message called parentingfail.com. It's pretty good. Let's just put it this way. It will encourage you. No matter where you are in your parenting story, it will definitely encourage you. Here's a story from parentfail.com. It says, I was pulling my then six-month-old son. All right, now just pause for a minute and think about that. Six-month-old son in a plastic sled. It must have been Friday. And feeling proud when a man honked his car horn. So I waved. And he honked again and began to flail his arms about. So I looked behind me and saw that the sled had flipped over, and I was pulling it and my son upside down. (laughs) Thank the Lord my son was not harmed. We have a slide I want to show you this morning. This is one of my favorite ones ever. If you can't quite make that out, it is exactly what you think it is. It is a motorcycle with a baby carrier bungee corded to the back seat. You laughed. Somebody thought that was a great idea. (laughs) They were genius level there. Two birds, one stone. Um, I think it's illegal, though. I'm not sure. Uh, (laughs) The next slide. This may actually come in handy. (laughs) The kitty taser. My favorite part of this one is the description, and this is what it says. Having trouble with undisciplined kids who just won't pay attention. Kitty taser is the solution. A kid-sized taser with just enough zap to turn your little devils into little angels. <laughs> Recommended for ages 2 to 10. <laughs> when I was a kid, my mom used to just pinch me in church, but now you can actually tase your children. I'll be waiting one Sunday morning to hear a, don't tase me, bro, in church. <laughs> the next one. We've all been there. It's okay. Don't lie in church. We've all been in pretty much that exact scenario. Next one, don't lie. You're in church. This one, I just don't know. I don't have a witty comment. I just look at this one and I went, why? I guess they didn't have a kid taser. Um, So parenting is hard. (laughs) Now listen, I don't know who took this picture. I don't know the backstory involved, but there is one thing that I know for certain. This was the dad's idea. (laughs) There is no mom on earth that would approve of that picture. That was dad. And I'm sure it didn't work out too well in the end. (laughs) Parenting is hard. We've all been there and we've all failed. And you have your stories that, you know, may look something like some of those pictures um, that you probably don't want anybody to know about. When when Elijah was first born, my seven-year-old, I was stoked. And a boy, you know, and sports dreams started up and, you know, I had all these these plans and things, you know, I was already devising for what positions he would play and what number he would wear and what particular sport. And, you know, I just got so pumped up about it. But he was a devil when he was a baby, and he just did not want to sleep. You all can relate. And he would wake up and cry and, you know, all, you know the drill. And so after like a, two weeks, my wife looked at me one and she's like, I'm just exhausted. Can you, can you do this one? And me wanting to be like, you know, you know, the helpful husband. I'm like, absolutely, honey, I got this. I sprang from my bed and went to the microwave and heated up the bottle and came back and with a little bundle of joy screaming. And 
laid back in the bed and put him like this and gave him the bottle and just stared into his beautiful eyes. And everything was great until I heard, (laughs) I had drifted off to sleep and had dropped said baby off the bed. (laughs) And if you've met Elijah, this might make sense now to some of you. And it was one of those moments, like, I jumped out of bed really quick, and I scooped him up, and I was like, you know, shh, I don't think she knows. I was like a kid trying to sneak back in the house in high school, you know, like, shh, I don't think, I think we're good. And all of a sudden, my wife's eyes peered over the edge of the bed, and she looked at me with this look, and she said, did you drop him? And immediately, I wanted to go, no. But I couldn't, and I just cried, I was like, Yes. I'm sorry. Thankfully, there is no permanent damage that we've seen. Other than the fact that I'm not allowed to hold the children at night anymore. Um, <laughs> this parenting gig is so hard. Um, and it's, it's full of ups and downs. And in each level of, 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 you know, station of life your kids get to, it gets more tough. Um, we're going to look in Colossians and Ephesians this morning. But the one thing I want to get across this morning is, this is not a self-help class, okay? I'm not going to walk away by going like, okay, what, what are the steps and what are the tools that I need to do? We're going to look at biblically-based parenting and relationships and that kind of thing throughout this. But this is not a self-help you know, guru where it's, it's three steps, you can go home and do these today, and, and everything's going to change in your world. It doesn't work like that. Everybody understands that. Um, But what we want to walk away with here today is to understand this and to understand this very well. We are all in need, if we're going to succeed as parents, with the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. Because without that, you're doomed. (laughs) Um, You're going to mess up and you're going to make mistakes. Um, We don't live in a perfect world. And the world that we live in today... um, we have relationally destroyed our society. Um, If you live in a family where it is a husband and a wife and kids, and all of you have belonged together forever, you're in a very small minority, statistically, that exists today. Single parents, in fact, you know, they say that over 50% of all the children that are born today are born in single parent situations right away. The statistics are staggering of what the family has been brought to in our culture. And a lot of it has to do with how us adults relate to one another and how we do our relationships and the ways that we have chosen to live our lives. And and this fractured world that we live in, it automatically, when we have children, we're at a disadvantage. We're already so far behind the eight ball. We're playing keep up and catch up the second they're born, because we have single parent situations, we have people that are on their second and third marriages, and those bring in different dynamics to your relationships that make these things even more difficult. And so this morning, no matter where you are and what your family looks like, the main thing that we want to get across to you today is there is hope, and you can still be successful as a family and a parent, no matter what your past looks like. Colossians 3.20 says, Children, obey your parents. And all the kids in here and teens, this next part is for you in, what's that word? Everything. For this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. We're going to start with the children. This morning, and, and I want to get something across to you this morning that's, that's so very important too. Do you know the Bible never talks about children or addresses children until it first addresses mom and dad? You see, if we're going to be successful, we're going to live and we're going to do this parenting and family thing the way God has called us to, the very first relationship that has to be right is mom and dad. We have to be living in covenant relationship with one another. We have to be doing the things that God has called us to be. Husbands, we're supposed to be a servant to our wives. 
and wives are supposed to be a helpmate to our husbands, is we're supposed to live in this harmonious cycle that creates momentum, that creates unity in our marriages and in our relationships with one another, that when we start to deal with the little beings that need to be tased, we do so from a place of unity and not from a place of opposition. Because what happens when we begin to try to parent and we begin to try to react from a place of opposition, the things that we're reacting to are really never about the children. They're really about our own wants and needs and desires not being met. And they're the easiest targets a lot of times to take it out on. So mom and dad, you got to get it right as a husband and as a wife. Now children, now first let's define this morning who is a child. Thank you for raising your hands. <laughs> Every parent, find your kid and see if they raise their hand, okay? Because they're going to wish they hadn't raised their hand in just a second. Um, kids, this is who's a kid. If you still live at home or your parents provide for a majority of your needs, i.e. food, clothing, shelter, insurance, college, food, if you're in college, etc., etc. If you're 49 and you live in your mom's basement, you're still a kid. Sorry, don't get mad at me. It's just a fact, right? So let's start with the kids. It says this, children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. Now, God designed a system. And the system begins right from the beginning. And I'm not going to make any apologies about this this morning, okay? Let me just say this. If you're here, and maybe it's the first time, or this is the first time you've heard me speak, and this is the first time we've talked about anything like this that you guys have, as a church have heard me since I'm new. But I want to get this straight. Number one, I'm not politically correct. I don't care about being politically correct. I don't care what Fox News or anybody else says about that. So if you're coming here looking for a politically correct message, there's probably somebody else in town that does that. You're not going to get it here. You're going to get something that lines up with biblically correct because politically correct is what's got us into a lot of the issues that we're in right now. Um, and this is what the system that God created. One man and one woman, a man and a woman, okay, uh, so go ahead and get that out of the way. In a monogamous relationship that is unbreakable for life, where the husband loves and serves the wife, and the wife is a helpmate to the man. That's what God designed right there. That's what his word says, and that's what he wanted to happen. Now, we've done a fantastic job of making that not the case. That doesn't mean that all hope is lost. It means that we have to get ourselves pointed in the right direction. But we have to understand from the beginning what it is that God wants for your life and what God wanted for your life. And that's what he wanted. Now, you can go all postmodern and talk about all the different kinds of family dynamics that exist today and, and all that kind of stuff. But guess what? Here's the fact. The new definitions of family, they don't work. They're not working. And I can give you a million statistics about it. And I'm not talking about focus on the family or Dobson or, or, or any preacher statistics. I'm talking about the New York Times and the Washington Post. We're beginning to figure out as a society that the new labels and the new things that we're trying to do, they're not working. They are not producing well-developed and socially integrated children because we're giving them a huge disadvantage in the very beginning because of what we've done as adults to mangle and confuse and destroy their lives. You know... We've gotten to this point now where the biggest thing in the news right now is this whole transgender bathroom deal, it, which I, I know I'm amongst friends, but I have to say, like, that blows my mind that it's even a conversation. Just what's a, go to the bathroom where you belong. <laughs> is it really that hard? It's not. I mean, in... I have an embarrassing picture that was in my senior video when I graduated from high school of me at three in like pink high heels and pearls. And I still shoot things and blow things up and I go to the men's restroom. Like, we have to make sure that we're not buying into the lie of the enemy because what we're being sold today 
is the equivalent of snake oil that was sold years ago that people would try to barter things. And what the enemy is trying to do is the, the one thing that he can do, if he can destroy the family unit and he can destroy families, then he can keep you apart to, from being in covenant relationship with God. The enemy's number one goal is to destroy families. And we're seeing it at an unprecedented rate in our society today. That the family, the nuclear family unit is being ripped apart. Kids' lives are being ripped apart at five and six years old when we're having the conversation of where should they use the restroom. This shouldn't even be a conversation that we should be having. But what we do is we, we live in a society today that just tells us that, that everything has to go against the grain and everything has to be different and that we need to, to buy into this and we need to buy into that. And, and in reality, the only thing that we're doing is as parents is we're setting our kids up for absolute failure and confusion, which is the reason that we see some of the issues that we see with children as they begin to grow up. No wonder when you have kindergartners that are being told that they should have been a girl when they're a boy. What do you expect to happen to that kid when he grows up? How is he going to identify? How in the world is he supposed to focus in a world that was created for him to be with one woman for the rest of his life? He can't. We've got to... Just don't buy into it, okay? All right? If we can get off on that subject and move on. So I don't spend the next hour talking about how ridiculous this stuff is. Is that okay with everybody? Kids, the next part of the scripture says this. Honor your father and your mother in Ephesians. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. He says that also in the Colossians. But the next part of this in Ephesians, he says, honor your father and your mother. And I know what you're all thinking right now, especially those of you who are teenagers. You think your parents are morons. It's okay. They're not. You are. (laughs) And I love you all very much. I do. And I appreciate your station of life. But as someone who was once a teenager, I was a moron. My parents were a lot smarter than I thought they were. You are a moron. Okay, so all the teens in the building, say it with me. I'm a moron. No, don't. You think that you know, and you think that your parents don't. And you have this natural tendency to want to rebel against what your parents say. It's part of our sinful nature that's born into us, that we're bent towards rebellion. But the thing is, though, is you need to understand that your parents have been given authority over you by God. And no matter, even if they're wrong, your parents always their, their priority is your best interest. They're trying to protect you. They're trying to keep you from probably making some of the mistakes that they made. And they see you pointed down the wrong path. Can you imagine if you would be in the animal kingdom? If teenagers in the animal kingdom reacted to their parents the way teenagers react to, you know, to their parents? Can you imagine the 13-year-old you know, adolescent antelope in the savannas of Africa telling his dad, like, you know what? I'm not running from that lion. I'm going to stand my ground. I'm going to show that lion who's boss. You know what happens to that antelope? We watch him on National Geographic get destroyed and get eaten by all the lions. It's the same thing that happens in your lives as teenagers and as kids. Your parents have been through things and they see things, whether you believe that or not. Believe me, there's many nights that I want to pick up the phone and go, hey, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I was an idiot. Yeah, thanks. Sorry, it's three in the morning. (laughs) Because you reach that age, you look back and you go, my parents were a lot smarter than I thought they were. And I see this in, especially my son Elijah. He's like a clone. He really is. And like, there's things my wife goes, why would he do that? I'm like, makes perfect sense to me. Um, (laughs) Should he not have done that? I... And so I try to guide him because I see him with the potential to make some of the same errors I did. And you probably see the same things in some of your kids. My daughter is pretty much a clone of me as well. And that is a whole different dynamic. (laughs) Teenage girls. You know, you have to train a child to be obedient. 
You never have to train them to be disobedient, do you? It's amazing, right? I remember Nixon, my four-year-old, the first time he lied. It was like a year ago. And it was like so blatant that it was just ridiculous. <laughs> he broke a crayon, and I watched him break it. I'm sitting across from him, and the crayon's in his hand, broken. I'm like, dude, why'd you break the crayon? He's like, I didn't break the crayon. <laughs> and I'm like, man, I've been wrong before, but I'm pretty confident that I'm, yeah, you did it. He's like, nope, you didn't see anything. <laughs> okay. Well, let's have a little chat about lying. <laughs> you don't have to do that. You never have to tell your kid, like, hey, you know, I really wish you'd break the rules a little bit more often. I wish you would challenge me when I tell you certain things. You know, you never have to tell your teenager, hey, could you argue with me about your curfew? Because that'd be awesome. I'd really appreciate it if we could have some dialogue about your thoughts about the rules. No, you never have to ask that. They freely give you that every time they go somewhere. What time do I have to be home? I always feel like I'm talking to Darth Vader sometimes when I'm talking to my daughter. Or Batman. What time do I have to be home? Ten. Ten o'clock is bad. And I'm like, get over it. <laughs> Letting you into the, the room of my family here this morning. But our kids are bent towards rebellion. But here's the thing, kids, you have to do what your parents tell you to do as long as you live in their house. And even when you're out of their house, the Bible says that you're still supposed to honor them. It gets really quiet when you say that part. <laughs> Just be thankful that you don't live in first century Rome. When Paul was writing this particular piece, as long as your dad was alive, you had to do what he said. Yep. So if you're like 60 years old, you're like, you know what, we're going to go to vacation in Florida. And your dad's like, he's 90. He's like, no, you're not. Guess what? You ain't going on vacation in Florida. <laughs> If you lived in first century Rome. Now, obviously, they wouldn't vacation in Florida from Rome. Um, but you get the point. And then it says at the end of this, it says that it will go well with you and you will live longer. Now, and it says this is the first commandment with a promise. And the promise attached to that in Ephesians is that you will live longer if you honor your father and your mother. Now, why do you think that is? It, this is not a commandment. This is one of those things in the Bible that is common sense. If you're a certain age, you will live longer if you obey your parents because you will not be kitty-tased. As you get older and you start to see, this is the part where you see it, is when you start to get older and you realize some of the paths that you went down could have led you to destruction. Your parents have been given charge over you to protect you and to try to keep you from harm. And if you do that and allow them to do that, and it's godly authority, that you will be well off, even if you feel like, my parents are awful. Now, right after this, Paul moves on, and he talks to fathers. And he says this in verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. As fathers, we cannot negatively motivate our kids. And that is really hard to do as a guy. I love sports. I played sports and my whole life, and so I'm used to negative motivation. You know, used to hear things, you know, when you're playing sports like, well, we need to get you guys a bunch of skirts or you're going to hit somebody, you know, in football. It's negative motivation. Sometimes it worked in football. But as a father, the Bible tells us, it actually is warning us, do not provoke your children. Do not negatively motivate your children because what you're doing is you're setting them up in a bad place. We need to give them positive reinforcement and we need to positively motivate them and point them into the right place. Now, before you go like, oh, like, oh he's going to tell us one of those don't spank your kids things. I'm not telling you how to discipline your kids. What I'm telling you is what not to do because the Bible says so, not me. I'm not a parenting expert. I stink at this as much as you do. And what I'm saying 
saying this morning applies to me as much as it does to you. Because it's very, it's very easy for me as a father. And, and I get caught on this. My daughter the other day brought this to my attention. And it actually, I felt horrible. We, her school has this thing where if she makes below a certain grade, I get an email. The second the teacher grades it. And I can be like, thought you studied. Looks like you were studying Facebook instead, you know. Um, and so she gets in the car right after I picked her up from school. And she goes, I made a 94 on my anatomy test today. And I was like, good for you. I'm like, you also made a da-da-da-da. And I started naming off everything. And she's like, oh, she gets so mad. And she goes, she goes, why do you always have to bring up the negative? Turn the radio up. <laughs> Thinking to myself, going, why do I do that? Because I want to point out to her, like, that's great that you did this, but what about this? It's negative motivation. What I should have done is said, great job on that. I'm proud of you. Way to study, way to work hard. Because that was a test that she had actually been worried about for a while and she worked hard on. But instead, what I did was I went to a different place. And instead of encouraging her and instead of loving her and giving her positive reinforcement and pushing her in the right way, I pushed her in the wrong direction. And then our conversation was not as good as it could have been if I would have handled it right as a parent. You guys are all looking at me like super righteous today. And I've met some of your kids, so don't be looking at me like that. We cannot. Now, I I don't think this text is saying that you're not going to make your kids angry or don't make your kids angry, because that's going to happen naturally. You're going to have these moments. But we shouldn't intentionally, aggressively attack and respond to our kids into a place that we give them this negative motivation or that we set them up to fail, because all we're trying to do is we're trying to respond to our hurt. Dads, watch your mouths towards your sons. And even more importantly, watch your mouth towards your daughters. I can't, we don't have time today or this month or probably even this year to unpack how powerful your mouth is, dad, when it comes to your children, especially your daughters. You can either instill godly confidence and self-confidence and safety in a man who will love and treat her with respect and love her the way God intends for her to be loved. Or you can teach her that she's worthless and that she needs to be demeaned for her entire life. It's completely up to you. Your daughter will take notes, men, on how you relate to her mom. And the way you honor and love her mother, men, is how your daughters, that's what they're going to come and have the expectation when they start looking for a relationship. So when you start thinking about it like that, it kind of puts how you react and how you respond in a much different light. And this is something I had to start doing. Once the boys started ringing my doorbell, it literally rang my doorbell. And I'm like, this? Surely we have taught you better than this. What is this? We won't even try to get into that. But then immediately I begin to realize, as I begin to think about things, that how... I treat my wife is teaching her a whole lot each and every day. How I respond when I'm tired and when I'm upset or when we don't agree. Now, I know maybe in your house you guys always agree on everything since you guys are all looking so pious and great this morning. I'm going to come live at your house for a while. And let's see just how much there really is. Moms with daughters. This is a tricky one, especially when the teen years approach. Anybody in here who's had daughters and they've already come through, you know exactly what I'm talking about. We're right smack in the middle of that right now in my house. And it's interesting. Moms, you have to be careful to build up your daughter. To build up your daughter And you have to be careful not to get caught in the same type of relationship that she has with her peers. And what I mean by that is simply this. 
you're not just another girl that she's fighting with. Now, ladies, you guys are emotional creatures. Don't get mad at me. I didn't create you that way. God did. I'm just telling you what the Bible says, okay? You're emotional. The way most of you are looking at me right now is an emotional response to something that I'm telling you. It's okay. But what happens when you throw all this emotion together is sometimes your home feels like a cheerleading practice. Now, my daughter is a cheerleader, unfortunately. Um, Because what cheerleading, I've discovered, is really about for teenage girls in high school is drama. I asked her, my daughter the other day, I go, are you sure you're not in the drama club? She's like, why would I be? What are you talking about? I'm like, because all y'all do is fight and bicker and drama. And then what happens is she starts coming on this, and then we as parents are like, you're an idiot. What? No. This, you're not going to do that, and this is what you're going to do, and then here we go. And again, some of you are looking at me like, this has never happened in your house. Stop lying to me. You're in church. I know it happens. Why? Because it's happened since day one. It'll always happen. But what's the difference that sets us apart from everyone else is that we have God's word to guide us. And we have God's word to navigate us down these waters. And the thing is, is mom, you have to be careful not to get caught up in having that kind of a relationship with your daughter. You have to have the relationship where you are building up your daughter because what happens when two girls go down that road, it looks like on cartoons where the, there's all the dust flying and the spinning thing and you just hear, and you don't know who's coming out alive at the end. And it, you just hope that it'll end soon. But usually what's said in the midst of those we'll call for all the pious this morning, discussions, <laughs> is usually neither wholesome nor uplifting. And if we're all honest with ourselves this morning, we've all been there. I have freely admitted that I have been there, and you guys are still wanting to look at me <laughs> like you have not. Moms, you should also love your sons and show them affection, and that it's okay to bear their souls and to have emotions. And dads, let's go ahead and get this out of the way. Let's drop the whole Tim the Tool Man dad thing, right? <laughs> All right? Be willing to show your son's affection and your daughter's affection and teach them that there's a whole lot more to being a man than just hunting, fishing, and playing sports. Now, let me say this. I love to hunt. I love to shoot animals and eat them. I told you I'm not politically correct. Get over it. I'm from Texas. We shoot things and eat them. And you do here too. Don't look at me all pious. I love the fish. There's nothing better to me than sitting in a boat in the water and nailing a big bass. Man, who's ready to go fishing now? I love sports. My whole life I played sports and I coached my kids in sports and I love that. But that's not what being a man is all about. And I have to be careful not to let this macho sense of like, you know, overshadow the fact that sometimes I need to just pick my sons up and tell them that I love them and tell them that I'm proud of them and to invest in who they are. I have two kids that are completely different and you do too probably. Elijah is like me. He's full of life. Um, he's a little hard-headed. Um, and he is just crazy. Nixon, on the other hand, is very relaxed. In fact, he's so relaxed that I can't take it sometimes. When we go to school in the morning, it's like... Now, I know all of your houses are totally different. In the mornings, it's calm, and everyone's just filing right in order, ready for school, right? Everyone gets dressed, and their shoes are where they're supposed to be, and their backpacks are all neatly packed, and you guys scurry out the door, singing like the Vantrops and Sound of Music, right? 
Well, at my house, it's something like this. Where are your shoes? I don't know. Where are your shoes? Why do you not have your shoes on? Have you brushed your teeth? What are you guys doing? I've told you a million times. Kayla, get out of the bathroom. What are you doing in there? It's been an hour and a half. And then we all, like, I'm like, if we don't leave right now, you're going to be late. And then we all run out the door, literally. Usually dog in tow, barking, because he wants to go. So we all get in the car, and turn around, and I'm like, where's Nixon? And this is Nixon walking out of the garage. Mind you that there's a fire in the house. What are you doing? I'm zipping my jacket. Let me do it. No, I have to do it. <laughs> Does it look like in your houses? And for me, like, I'm a, let's go. We got to do it. Let's be on the move. Like, that's the kind of person I am. And I'm sitting here, and I'm, like, literally, like, going to launch into space. Just want to go, zip the jacket! <laughs> and every morning, it looks like this. Son, just move. We call him Granny. <laughs> it's true, we do. People always look at us like we've lost our grandmother or something. We're out in public. Because you'll hear Elijah go, Come on, Granny, hurry up! <laughs> and people look at him like, Sorry, he's not talking to his grandmother, he's talking to his little brother. We have to be careful that no matter how different, you know, the paths our kids take, that we love and push and point them in the right directions. It's really easy for me to relate to Elijah. I even know what he's doing before he does it. I'm like, yeah, nope, I got you. Because I think exactly that way. Nixon, I don't get yet. I try. I'm just like, what? Move. Do something. Anything. We try to get and play baseball. He wouldn't leave the dugout. I'm like, don't you want to play? He's like, no, I'll just sit. Okay. I have another friend that has twin boys. And you think twins, you know, they're offshoots of one another. They would be really similar. Well, they're not. They could be further from different. They have one, Zachary, who loves to read, and he's into drawing and school and just, you know, very quiet, always has a book. I think he reads it at like a doctoral level. And his brother, Ezekiel, is a lot like my Elijah. They love football. They love to do things that you go, why would you jump off of that? Um, That's the kind of boys they are. So a couple weeks ago, we took them to this water park that they had just done some renovations to in San Antonio, and they had built this big new slide. Now, let me just tell you, the slide was awesome. Okay. You're really high, and you go up in this thing, and you get in this glass tube, and they close this thing around you, and the bottom falls out of the floor, and you free fall for like three seconds, and then you snake your way through this tube, and then it's, you're so fast, you can't even see. It's awesome. And then it's over. And so I'm like, who's going to do the new slide with me? And of course, Elijah and Ezekiel are like running. They're like, this is awesome. I'm like, Zachary, are you going to come, buddy? He's like, not a chance. <laughs> He's safe. He always plays it safe. But what I've loved watching his parents, who are really good, close friends of ours, that we've known these boys since they were probably like three or four years old, is they invest where each one of those kids finds their strengths. They invest in them. Now, it's much easier as a dad to go to football games. I love watching my son play football. It's awesome. But I have to be to love going to watch my daughter cheer at a football game. <laughs> and I have to invest in love and encourage where she's strong. And Nixon, I have to eh, encourage him in his sitting and staring. <laughs> but he's so awesome, though. Like, he, he'll just like, sit there and like, hug on you like, all day long, and it's so awesome. I love that about him. But we have to understand that we have to speak life and blessing as parents into our kids. And we cannot use our tongue to wound or assault our children because it will have lasting effects. 
I have been quick with my tongue. And I'm sure some of you have too. I, I seldom, seldom lay in bed and go, you know, I really wish I would have said, da 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 you know, I just didn't say anything. And I should have said this. That would have been great. No. Normally what I do at night is I go, why did you say that? That was the dumbest thing you could have possibly said in that moment. Why, why would you say that? It's because we are reactionary beings. When things don't go our way, we react. When things don't go our way as parents, we react. And we have to be careful that we don't try to discipline from a place of anger and from a place of hurt and from a place of disappointment because that's not going to do any good. And what we actually have to do is we have to actually think about it in, in the terms of the way that God disciplines us. He disciplines us out of love, mercy, and grace. And those are really hard to come by at 7.13 in the morning when your four-year-old wants to zip his own jacket. There's not a lot of mercy there. And there's times in your own life where it's the same way. We have to teach our kids respect and to respect. You know, this whole notion today of people that think it's cute when their kids tell them or someone else to shut up. Um, yeah, I don't think that's funny. In fact, when I was a kid, if I had told my parents to shut up, I would have bled out. <laughs> they would have just had a new kid. You know, when I was a kid, you were replaceable. <laughs> like, yeah, well, we used to have one, but he didn't talk back too much. There was no kitty tasers. You just... I told the first service this story. I remember when I was like five or six years old, we were in church, and they were doing one of the Christmas choir things, practicing for it, like every day of the week for like two months. And back then, kids, we didn't have iPads and phones and all that. It just blows my son's mind. He's like, what games did you play on your iPad when you were a kid? I'm like, we didn't have iPads. We didn't have phones like that. I'm like, you had to use a phone in the kitchen with a long cord and hide from your parents to talk to a girl. And we were rolling underneath the back pew of the church, you know, down to the front, over and over and over and over again. And I remember the, the last time that we rolled. I remember seeing carpet underneath of the pew and in the ceiling of the church and then I was suddenly sucked into a whirlwind and just transported out of that place into the bathroom by my father and I was so confused it was like time travel and I looked around and all of my buddies were there with their dads too there's nothing more humiliating than being beaten with your friends you can't talk to each other for weeks. We just stared at each other. But discipline is not just spanking your kids or putting them in a timeout or whatever you know, book you read um, on parenting. It's about consistency, but it's also about using all the tools. Discipline isn't always about negative things either. Sometimes discipline is positive reinforcement. It's pushing and shaping and molding our kids the way God pushes and shapes and mold us. Man, can you imagine if God reacted when you sin the same way that you react when your kids do something wrong? Think about that one for a minute. Yep. Yep. Me too. <laughs> That would not be fun. Because I would be like the Old Testament God. I would just smite you. <laughs> but he doesn't do that. Discipline has to be administered in love the way God does it. And listen, here's the thing. You're going to fail at this. You're going to mess up, and you're going to mess up again, and you're going to try to do better, and you're going to mess up. And that's just because we're humans, and we're going to make mistakes. The most important thing is, and this doesn't matter at what station where your family is this morning, right? Because we all have different circumstances that make up our family. Some of you may be single parents here this morning. And you're like, how does this apply to me? You can still guide and navigate and love your children the way that God has called you to love them and begin to point them in the right direction. Maybe you have a blended family here this morning. And you have other marriages or other parents that are involved in all that, the, the, the baggage that that creates. And it's vast. 
And a lot of times in these situations, the thing that drives us as parents more than anything else is the hurt that we have from what we've done in our past. And what we have to make sure that we do is that we don't allow, if you're, especially if you're in a blended family that's here today, that you don't allow the, pers- the, the past hurt of the mom or dad. All these things still apply, even in those situations. Because your kids are going to take cues on how you guys navigate your relationship. And that's the hardest thing in the world to do. It's very difficult. And a lot of times it puts you at opposition. But we have to show our kids that this works. And if we do what we've been called to do, then we're going to be in right covenant with Christ. It, it doesn't matter where you are. You know, the, new, the big new thing right now in society, too, is grandparents raising their, having to raise their grandkids. The statistics on that are staggering. So a lot of you thought you were done. Guess what? <laughs> You're thrust back into parenthood at a time when it's a much more difficult season for you to do this. And you have to navigate your kids and then now raising grandkids and doing it. The family dynamics that exist in our culture are so vast and they're so hard. But here's the thing, and this is the message that we have to, we have to understand today, that there is hope and there is restoration and that we can still, no matter what's happened, God still loves us and God still wants the best for us and God will continue to point us in the right, right direction if we'll let him navigate us in our relationships as parents and as husbands and his wives. And some of you that have already been through some of this and you've navigated those waters, you need to be instilling into some of these younger people. Some of you that have had a teenage girl come up through your house, moms, and she's still alive. When you see that mom come in on a Sunday morning and she looks like she was just in a knife fight, she probably was with a teenager. Go up and encourage her. Talk to her. Tell her that God's in control. You have a responsibility as well. When you see that dad, and you see that kid who's trying to zip up his jacket, and you can see him, probably me in the parking lot. Be like, it's okay, hang in there. He'll learn how to do that eventually. Because we all have a collective responsibility as a church family to do the things that God has called us to do. And listen, I, I don't care what your political affiliations are this morning. I don't care what you think is important. Let me tell you this. As a church of Jesus Christ today, if there's one thing that we have to be absolutely, and I mean absolutely, absolutely correct about and that we have to be absolutely intentional about and that we have to absolutely live out is that we have got to take back families again and to begin to show the world that when you do what God has called you to do and even if you mess it up but you still begin to apply his principles to your life and to your family's life look at what the difference is and look at what the outcome is because if we don't we're going to allow the enemy to destroy the one thing the first thing that God really created for humanity, and that was the family. And this isn't one where we sit in here and we gather together on Sunday morning and you go, oh, that's right, yeah. But we sit here on our rear ends and we do nothing about it. You see, statistically, if you look at our community, our community's in need in this department. And we're doing a great job. Kids Hope is awesome. Seeing those kids baptized was awesome. That's one thing I love about social media. I got to witness the kids being baptized from San Antonio because of that. And that's great that we're doing that, but it's not enough. What are you doing to make a difference in the lives that you're surrounded by? Who are you investing in? Who are you reaching out to? We all have a responsibility to this community because we've been called to serve here. And called to serve means that we move to action. It doesn't mean that we sit idly by in the comfort of our church and go, oh, man, you're right. It's so bad out there. So bad. Luckily, we're in here. 
We can't have that attitude. This is not a bomb shelter. We've got to get going, and this is the biggest one right now. It doesn't matter who's elected to office. If we keep allowing people to tell five-year-olds what they were born as, and we continue to tell people that it's okay to be this, that it's okay to be that, in fact, you can, be any, any, you can do anything you want to do. That's pretty close to where we are in our society. Anything but the right thing. And it's time that we stood our ground, and it's time that we stood up. And it's amazing what God can do in the lives of our families if we allow him. And before we go this morning and we close up, um, we had an opportunity to sit down this week, um, or last week, uh, Chris did, um, with a family in our church that's going to tell you their story um, about what God can do if we're willing to let him work in our situations. I felt that failure that, you know, I mean, I wanted it to be right. I wasn't following him. I felt like Peter in the boat a lot. Lord, don't look at me. I would leave, and then I would always go back, and they would see all this unhappiness and fighting and anger. There was not one weekend that I didn't see my kids. I was away from them, that I would not just sit in my hotel room and just just cry my eyeballs out thinking about my kids. Uh, I didn't understand why I had to go through a lot of stuff that I kind of just gave up. I was done. It was very unfair the way I was being treated, uh, always being left at home. There was a lot of confession. There was a lot of sifting through Dustin's junk and straightening my path. I didn't feel like I was man enough. God showed me how I broke his heart when I walked away from him. I think my lowest point, the lowest point is just, was just so many times seeing my kids disappointed, you know, um, that probably hurt me more than anything, you know, and then being angry because I couldn't fix it. When I finally hit rock bottom, it was a Sunday night, it was raining, um, it was in fall of 2008. I was broken. I was crying. I had been driving around. I knew nowhere to go. And I just wanted to come here. So we had to go through all that stuff. And even in my darkest hours, in those days, I prayed for my babies. I knew that they were a gift from God. I knew from that moment on, I belonged to Jesus Christ. I already knew in my heart that he was there. Well, Caitlin came here first with uh, one of her friends, and she had always talked about She went through the, the children's program, and she really liked it. I drove back to church, and I sat in the back row and cried my eyeballs out. And I wanted to be a part of this youth group. I was watching all these kids just in love with Jesus. And um, I wanted to be around that. Four years I've traveled 160,000 miles. I had been alone for four years. All the times that I had problems in my first marriage and people that I had dated, she kept telling me, you know, she's like, maybe you should just not, you know, just be by yourself for a whole year. Because I was always searching and I was always trying to fill up what was missing and it was actually it was, it was God he just filled up everything that I needed and uh, I, I was fine with being alone I was happy with being alone you know with being alone and, and he was like my husband for a whole year and um, it was really cool because I'd get up every morning and you know and I'd read I'd actually fall asleep next to my Bible he was like my husband my best friend that year meant more to me than the whole entire eight years being on St. Peter. And so when I first met him um, at the church picnic, my first reaction was, oh, God. I think he had more back in the fears than I did. And it was because of um, 
I just knew, you know. Yeah. You don't even ask a girl out that has five kids unless you're, you know. Bill Allison told me when I got married to seven kids, you're going to learn that it's not about you. Now it's at our house, you know what I mean? So we don't have just seven, we have seven plus. You know what I mean? All of their friends and, um, you know, the grandbaby and, and our family. I guess it's the fatherly duty, that that love of your kids, that God instills in all of us the same love that he has for us. He warned me, though. He's like, you know, you can't just show up and disappear in a month. you got to stick around. You know, this isn't, this isn't a short-term commitment. That's kind of stuck with me. We've already kind of seen the kids have to go through struggles. God, I don't care what you have to do to them. But the most important thing is that they know you. And that, that's a tough prayer. It's, it's tough to think that our kids are going to have to go through the junk in this world and be broken to come to know him truly and holy the way we did. I'm thankful that, that God changed me when he did because my kids have been able to grow up in the church. I pray that they don't have to be like me and, and screw it up in their 20s the way I did. If I didn't pray for you, what my father prayed for me. I think that's really important is when you have uh, positive and you know Christian people that can help you. Men, men of faith that that love me and pray for me and still meet with me, uh, that have helped hold me accountable, you know, guide me. You know, they don't come here on Sunday morning necessarily to be fed and to do, but guide at the same time. He always uses it that way, but, you know, we're far enough on our walk that we can feed ourselves. And we come here to pour out. We come here to, to love on others. And, you know, it's family. I mean, the people in this church are my family. And, and um, I love it. We appreciate you guys sharing your story um, with the church. It takes a lot of courage sometimes to say that. And it's amazing to see what God has done in, in their lives. And five kids, man. Good for you. And now seven, yeah, total. Um, yeah, I don't... Whew. You guys should pray for them like every day. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> but it's great what God can do. If we just let him. And the thing is, is none of us come from a place of perfection. And if you think you do, see me afterwards and I'll help you figure it out. Okay? Because you're not. And and we've all made these errors, but the beautiful thing about it is, is that through the grace of God that we can get it right. You know, to see these two families come together after um, what both parents went through, and I thought it was beautiful to see that God filled up some of the void. And when we allow God to fill up the void and we don't try to do it ourselves, then we can begin to get set on the right path. And I think it's beautiful what God's done in their family and just thrilled to see the continuation of that and love to hear them say they come here to, to pour out now into others. And some of you have had an impact on them because you were willing to share your stories and to share your life's work and the things that you've been through. You know, I know even in my own life, my family is blended. A lot of you don't know that, but it's true. My family is blended. My daughter Kayla was born when I was 19 years old. Yes, I'm not perfect. (laughs) It's okay. 
And so that dynamic then, I was a single parent for a few years. And I had to navigate those waters by myself and figure it out. And luckily, I had church people that came alongside of me and instilled in me and talked to me. And I learned some things about some of those people I didn't want to know. Um, But it encouraged me along the way. And then now that, you know, my family and and Wendy and I and the two boys, our two boys, well, they have a a sister that's a half-sister that lives with us. And there's dynamics with her family and all that. And it's just the same thing unpacking that and then packing it back together. It, what it does is it doesn't make it any easier. It just means that there's more baggage that we all come in the room with that we have to deal with. And the thing is, is that as you see in their life and in, in my family's life, and I think sometimes we're still trying to figure it out, how all those dynamics work. But if we allow God to work in us and through us, then we can be that light that shines in the darkness in a city on a hill. Because I can tell you, when I was 19, if it wasn't for a group of church people that surrounded me, and that could have gone the other way, I wouldn't be where I am today. I am where I am today because those people invested in me and they instilled in me and they walked me through a very difficult season of life. And it's been an encouragement along the way to talk to other people that have been in similar situations and how they've dealt with blended families and doing those things and getting ourselves and our family right from the get-go. And the thing is, is again, no matter where you're at today, it doesn't even matter if your kids are grown and you're like, man, I, you don't even understand. Like, I messed up so far back then and they're grown. It's still not too late. You can still navigate those waters and you can still be a godly influence in their life. There's things that you can, mistakes that can be rectified and things that you can do better. There's also lives that you can invest in today of some of these younger families. I've told you guys this before. You don't get to retire from God's kingdom. You just get to expire. So if you're still here, there's a purpose. And if you've got a story, you should be telling it. You should be sharing it, and you should be investing in the lives of others. Let's pray together this morning. God, we thank you so much um, for each family that's represented here this morning.